0: Canada, the
1: conspiracy show with Richard Serrick. And welcome to the audio imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler, hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather round the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Carlos Cagina is the technical producer, Ryan White is the live stream producer. And uh, as a matter of fact, I'm doing the show live from my mother's dining room table in Brantford, Ontario. So if you're on the live stream, this is the house I grew up in. And my mother is listening in just down the hall uh, in, in bed on her AM radio. My parents bought this house in 1956. I was born in 64. So this house, the surrounding few blocks was my entire world I grew up listening to records. We had a dial telephone. We even had a party line. And so whenever I come back here, I find it it takes me back to a a simpler time. Although I did recently install high-speed internet here so my siblings and I can work remotely when we're here. Or my boys can take their online courses when they're visiting their grandma. But when my parents – think of this now. When my parents bought this house – their milk and bread was still delivered by horse and wagon. And now my mom, again, 95, she has Google Nest. She loves it. She'll ask it to play big band music, which I don't know. There's something wonderfully paradoxical about that. So when my mother thinks of, of robots, she thinks of Google Nest playing Guy Lombardo or Frank Sinatra. When I think of AI and robotics, I think of the Terminator, just a matter of perspective. But it is hard to believe we are on the cusp of perhaps or even in the midst of a robotic and artificial intelligence revolution that is going to arguably equal or surpass, probably surpass the industrial revolution in terms of its impact on society, on work, our economy. Are we prepared for it? Not even close. How can we prepare if it's not too late? That's where we're headed for the next two hours. So hang on to your hat. This is going to get intense. Dennis Combites is recognized as a leader in robotics education. His approach to teaching robotics has helped thousands of students. And uh, he's also trained hundreds of teachers, helping them understand best practices for teaching robotics. He's frequently invited to present at educational conferences and his presentation preparing students for a robotic future has been described as transformational and something every educator needs to hear Dennis's innovative approach and strategies have helped educators at all levels deliver inspiring world-class robotics and programming education he is the founder of robots.education Dennis welcome aboard I'm not sure if I'm more interested in robotics or more frightened by it or, or artificial intelligence, but we'll get into that <laughs> shortly. Maybe in this answer you can assuage some of my fears or maybe you'll intensify them. But I know that you travel around the world, you you share this information with educators and ministers of education, and uh, you always start with a little short message, a kind of a um, an introduction. Just share that with us if you would.
0: The first thing I like to talk to educators or anybody about before we get into this information is the first half of the presentation or the first half of the information where we talk about the challenges, what's coming, types of jobs that are going to be affected, job loss, new opportunities that are coming, how we're doing in our preparations and stuff. A lot of that information can feel pretty overwhelming. And, you know, a lot of times I do these presentations live with educators. Obviously with COVID, it's a little bit different recently, but about the twenty minute mark, I can look out into the audience, and I can just see a lot of open mouths and, and big eyes and I recall once I was in New Jersey talking with an educator one on one and I was explaining the changes of you know what was coming and the lady got so angry at me that she started to shake, and she said "You're the worst kind of person profiteering off the demise of mankind and then she stormed off and I was really really quite rattled that first time that that had happened. But an interesting thing happened. The next day she came back and she found me at the conference and she said, I just wanted to apologize and to thank you for, you know, having the fortitude to keep going and telling people what you're saying, because the things you said sounded very real to me and it affected me deeply. But I want to thank you for saying them. And so the one thing that I would say right now to your listeners is. We're going to go pretty deep down the rabbit hole of what's coming, and that's going to be pretty alarming for a lot of people. And this might sound a little overstated initially, but if you're driving in your truck, you may honestly want to contemplate pulling over. the The stats that are going to, you know we, we'll be talking about in a moment are pretty dramatic. Uh, the impact is huge. And I just want everyone to please, please, please stay tuned for the second half of the program where we'll start to talk about some of the opportunities and solutions because we have had incredible success teaching robotics you know, from students in grade two all the way up through university. And we've really had 100% success with kids where every single one of them has been able to learn this. And so I think people are gonna be surprised by some of the information when we talk robotics. Everybody gets a, an idea in their head in, in terms of what we're talking about. We talk about AI, they get a vision. But people are going to be surprised about what it is and also surprised, I think, at what some of the solutions are and how they, you know, they might fit into the future.
1: So before we start talking about the forecasts and so forth, let's define some terms. You know, robots have been around for 50, 60 years, certainly in popular culture. And I, I had a robot as a kid and, you know, with a battery operated robot, it was very simple. You know, it moved around on wheels and it could do simple things. And in terms of artificial intelligence, I mentioned, I guess this isn't really artificial intelligence, but you'll give us a proper definition, but I mentioned Google Nest off the top. And, uh, of course, we have Siri now and these sorts of things. So explain what we're talking about here. First of all, let's start with robots, because many of us have an idea in our head when we're talking about robots. What exactly are we talking about here?
0: Okay, so when I'm talking about robotics, I view robotics as an extension of your computer. It's really how your computer interfaces with the world around it, so for the purposes of these conversations, the best way to think of a robot is it needs to have a sensor, it has to be able to sense its environment, it needs a processor so it can figure out what it wants to do, and then it has to have a way to physically interact with the environment. Then you start to get into some pretty gray areas about okay, is Siri a robot? You know it's physically interacting by talking and stuff so. But in this case, you know, I kind of lump all of those technologies around computers into robotics.
1: All right, self driving cars. That would be a robot, or not?
0: Yeah, even as simple as the doors that open for you automatically at the mall would be a very, very simple form of, you know, of robotic application because it's sensing you moving up with a motion sensor. It goes, oh, someone's approaching. I need to open the doors. So it can be very simple simple robotic applications all the way up to you know artificial intelligence and cars that can drive themselves it goes pretty deep the whole
1: can we talk a little bit also about artificial intelligence then is google nest technically that's not artificial intelligence is it it's not thinking for itself is it
0: i wouldn't classify that as artificial intelligence i would classify that as really great programming so when we talk about artificial intelligence you know there's a lot of talk about artificial intelligence and machine learning. And a lot of things that are being passed off as artificial intelligence aren't yet. But when we talk about artificial intelligence, to me, we're talking about computers that are running tests, seeing results, thinking and strategizing on new approaches that they might use to solve problems. That's where we start to get into artificial intelligence. And then, you know, obviously, self-awareness is a notch significantly higher than that. And, you know, for the grand scheme of what I'm hoping to talk about today and to help people understand is we don't have to get into the really deep end of the singularity, self-awareness for computers and stuff before we're going to start to see an overwhelming impact that these technologies are bringing already to the world. It's just that people aren't really putting together all of the different things that are happening and thinking of those in a cumulative effect.
1: I just want to share a, a quote here from famous futurist Ray Kurzweil, who says, Artificial intelligence will reach human levels by around 2029. Follow that out further to say 2045. We will have multiplied the intelligence, the human biological machine intelligence of our civilization a billion fold.
0: It's dramatic. And if those projections are true, and it's certainly possible that they will be, Everything, every, every, everything changes, and the changes that we're already looking at immediately are still overwhelming, and we're just scratching the surface. We're really talking about the largest paradigm shift in human existence, I believe, where, you know, certainly electricity, you know, was a dramatic improver, but the changes that are going to come this time are going to be so sweeping and so fast that it's going to define all aspects of what humanity is.
1: I mentioned off the top, and I was sort of anticipating your answer to this, but I I said that we are woefully prepared uh, in terms of this. It's really a tsunami that's coming at us at 100 miles an hour. Is that an accurate description that we are woefully prepared?
0: Absolutely. And there are some countries that are taking steps faster than we are here in North America. So there are some countries that are more prepared. You know, and the other thing that we have to understand is with the speed that this is coming, the changes are coming from, let's say, job loss. You know, talking negatively for a second here, the changes are coming for everybody. They're going to hit North America, Germany, the U.K. They're going to hit the industrialized countries first because the cost of living is higher. Hourly wages are higher. So these changes will impact everybody. And, you know, there's tens of millions of jobs forecast to be lost. At the same time, there's millions or tens of millions of jobs forecast to be gained. But that skill set is very different. And if we're not ready for that, the job loss is already you know, starting to appear for us. But we have already a skill gap at the high end, you know, coding courses, cybersecurity, those types of things. We're already seeing a skill gap, and we're just at the front end of this hockey stick-like curve.
1: So let's talk about the numbers then. You mentioned tens of millions of jobs. Can you be more specific? Let's say in the next 10 years. So by 2030, how many jobs will be lost due to automation and robotics?
0: The first thing is there are a wide range of forecasts. Um, I think that some of them are a little low and and everything changes with something like COVID as well. So these are pre-COVID stats from some of the leading authorities on it. Globally, it's expected that the job loss in the next 10 years will be in the range of 375 million. Across North America, the expectation is that the job loss could reach 40%, representing up to 60 million people. And there's a real important distinction when we talk about this job loss. This is not job loss due to a recession. This is, you know, job elimination, right? If we talk about, you know, for the sake of argument, transportation, truck drivers, bus drivers, cab drivers, just off the top of my head, if those jobs get replaced by automation, those jobs don't come back. It's not a recession where you can go, oh, well, we'll ride this out for a couple of years and I'll get another job in the same field. This is a paradigm shift in what the workforce looks like.
1: Right, because productivity will be going up. The stock market may well go up. A lot of the economic indicators will be good except for employment numbers.
0: Right. And that, that has a significant impact across all aspects of society. You know, when you start to look at what happened in Detroit, where Detroit ended up going bankrupt, when cities or states or provinces or countries experience too much economic slowdown, then the machine stops. And, you know, people stop buying big screen TVs. And then the companies that sell big screen TVs, they go out of business. And then people stop buying you know, cars, and the whole thing spirals. And what we're going to see is, you know, if we start to experience significant job loss, we're in for, you know, a societal uh, significant amount of pain.
1: Right, the tax base. I mean, there'll be corporate taxes, but the individual taxes, the tax base will be severely eroded. That means how will governments pay for uh, services? That means how will we pay pensions? How will we pay medicare medicaid how will that be paid for how will people's retirement be paid for you know it's interesting the only person who really talked about this in the run for the democratic candidate for president was andrew yang and he was kind of dismissed as being a bit of a kook now a lot of his policies i disagreed with but i think overall obviously a very intelligent thoughtful person very likable person this is not part of the public discourse this is not even a campaign issue
0: No, and honestly, Richard, it's the big one. It really, truly is the big one. We talk about the social programs and stuff and reduce tax base. You know, some people are throwing around terms like universal basic income, and that's a great concept. But if we're behind in robotics and artificial intelligence, and, you know, if the best AI is coming out of Asia or the Middle East or Northern Europe, and the best robotics, platforms are coming out of those countries, and the best software is coming out of those countries. Where are the profits going? They're going offshore. And you can't have universal basic income if you don't have money for the government to do it. So we're talking about a complete rethink in taxation. And the truth is, a lot of governments love to cut education because the cost doesn't show up for five or 10 years. But what we're very quickly going to find is the currency of the future is intellectual infrastructure, and we are behind on the curve. And the changes are coming for us first. This is this is an absolute crisis that is just not recognized.
1: And it's obviously it's way, way too late to be having a discussion about whether this is a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, we could say, well, we're going to regulate to prevent job loss in the field of drivers truck driving we won't allow automation or we're not going to allow drones these sorts of things okay fine so your jurisdiction regulates them out they simply move to another jurisdiction and you're left holding the bag i mean in other words it's too late to have a philosophical discussion about whether we want this or whether it's a good thing it's here now we have to adapt
0: i could not agree more (laughs) Uh, it's yeah, the, the changes are now upon us. And when we look at what's happening within education and, you know, I've, I've talked to 20,000 educators. So I've got a real good handle on this. And many of those educators are passionate, you know, passionate about their kids. They love their kids. They're passionate about the future. They want to do the right things. There's just not enough discussion around what the right things are. And there's not enough discussion. Around having a good understanding about about what changes we need to make but I want to throw something out at you if we accept the fact that 40% of the population Mm. you know theoretically their jobs are going to be eliminated in the next decade if 40% is correct then it is reasonable to say that 40% of our kids that graduate from high school take the exact types of jobs that are disappearing we have to change education no, know, if, if you think about what happens when one person loses their job and the impact of their family, and now think 10 people, 100 people, 60 million people losing their employment. And every year our high schools are graduating children with enough, ed, you know, technical education and high-tech skills uh, to take the exact type of jobs that are disappearing. We're already going to have a very large pool of people that are looking for work that have low technical skills, you know, for, for lack of a better term. We have to not be graduating anybody from our schools that are going to go. You know, they're going to fall into that same pool.
1: It is dire. There's no question about it. Dennis Combites is here from robot.education and uh, we will take a timeout, come back, further de- delve into this. We will open up the phone lines and take questions in the second hour. So, just sit back, listen to the conversation. Don't get discouraged. There are solutions on the way coming up in the second hour. But uh, until then, we've got uh, a little bit more heavy sledding to do. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Welcome back. I love this quote uh, regarding artificial intelligence and robotics from Steve Polyak. Before we work on an artificial intelligence, why don't we do something about natural stupidity? <laughs> uh, true enough. Uh, Dennis Combites is here, the founder of robots.education, robots.education. Incidentally, uh, Dennis, how do I know I'm talking to the Dennis and not the AI <laughs> version of Dennis?
0: Um, I don't even have a good answer. I was thinking about doing something kind of silly on, you know, on the visuals for the podcast, and, and no AI would do that. But uh, <laughs> it's a good question. You know, computers have, have passed the Turing test, so it's uh, it, it is getting trickier and harder to tell.
1: Right, right. Now we talked about job displacement. I mean, but there's there's sort of two angles to this. There's the the jobs, the the robots that will displace you. But then there are, there's also assistive assistive uh, robotics. So that, like, so for example, in Japan, they're using robots to help you know the elderly to care for the elderly, you know, to to take, to, to carry them upstairs and these sorts of things. Yeah,
0: yeah, I I think definitely what we're going to see in a lot of um, in a lot of industries are the robots that are appearing first will be assistive but I think it's important to understand what an assistive robot means because if you know if an assistant assistive robot is doing 30% of an accountant's job you know or a bookkeeper's job then really a company needs to have 30% less accountants or bookkeepers and so I you know a lot of companies are coming Mm -hmm. out going we're not making robots that are going to replace people We're making robots that are going to help people do their job better. But if people are doing their job better, the, the, you know, the one step up from that is then other people are not going to be doing that job, right? So we're going to see, we're going to see changes across all industries, certainly a huge number of jobs lost, but it's important to think about how this technology is going to change careers that you wouldn't necessarily think about. Yes,
1: this is interesting. People. Yeah, give me an example of that because you and I have talked before and, and you gave some examples I hadn't even thought of uh, that, that yeah. will be re- replaced by robots or will be assisted by robots.
0: So one of, one of, the, one of the ones that I love is um, – and then sort of the, the first couple of these aren't really replaced by robots, but just that you would have to have robotics literacy uh, or high-tech you know, skills and literacy – To get these types of jobs and the first one i love is the fashion industry and i was at a robotics conference six or seven years ago probably now uh and we're talking heavy duty robotics drones assembly line robots and i was giving a presentation on the impact you know that we're going to see worldwide and on the workforce and i was surprised over the next two days by how many people that i met at this conference that were from the fashion industry and initially, you would think, well, fashion design and robotics, those two things are about as far down the spectrum as they could be. But when we start to think about, okay, you know, if, if, you, if you were to draw a circle and say, okay, all the crazy fashion that's ever been made in the world fits within that circle. And then you go, okay, what could you do if you add robotics and 3D printing to that circle? And it gets larger Right, you 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 get more innovative designs, you get clothing that could adjust itself and respond to its environment. And so what we're going to see is even in a career like the fashion industry, which we would think as being very creative, people that have strong tech skills are going to move to the top of that industry and get hired first. And once there's, this is an important distinction, once there's enough people that have those high tech skills available, people without the high tech skills stop getting hired. And, you know, another industry I love to talk to teachers about and educators about is the education industry. Because I think that we would all agree that teaching, for many teachers, is not a high-tech career. They're using technology, but it's not truly high-tech. But if if, if we project forward four or five years, and we think about all the changes that are happening in the workforce, and you're a principal of a school and you're looking to hire a new teacher – what kind of a teacher are you hiring you've already got lots of teachers that can teach math english the sciences you know if a teacher retires you can shuffle your staff and cover that pretty clear where's the skill gap in education and the answer is robotics coding 3d printing it's the high-tech courses so teaching's not a high-tech career but if you have aspirations to become a teacher and you don't have those words on your resume you're going to have a difficult time finding a job because those are the teachers that are overwhelmingly in demand. And I've, I talked with some principals at a conference. In fact, the last conference I was at, every time I mentioned this to a principal, they said those are already the teachers that are getting hired. So this type of situation exists, but we don't think about teaching as being a high-tech career.
1: Right, right. Let me throw some occupations at you. And you tell me, whether you think they will be uh, – how they will be impacted by robotics. Either they'll be – those jobs will be eliminated uh, or whether they will be assisted uh, by robotics, etc. So, I mean, will there be any, any, any more sort of common uh, or manual labor? Will there be any more laborers per se?
0: I, I think there will be, um, certainly for a period of time, you know, so uh, I'm not sure if your listeners are aware. They probably are. They're pretty enlightened. Um, you can 3D print homes now. That's a new technology that's coming along. So if you're a laborer that typically is building houses or you're a, a trade like a plumber, you know, the robotics can impact how products are made from scratch very easily with, you know, with paradigm change, comparatively easily. With paradigm changes like 3D printing a home. But, you know, one of the things that robotics and AI is not good at and won't be for quite a while is if, you know, if you're a plumber and you go into an existing house, you're looking at a wide range of variables and having to make decisions on what the best course of action is. That's the type of job that is going to be quite safe. You know, the other, the other aspect that I think is interesting within North America is if we get a significant number of people understanding robotics and stuff, the potential is there to bring manufacturing back to North America. Now, that's not going to create a massive amount of manufacturing jobs in the traditional sense that it used to be. But the manufacturing can be done here because if it's being done by technology, you're looking at the price of electricity and and robots here versus the price of electricity and robots in Asia. So there's a couple of industries that you know would ha- would have unexpected twists, perhaps.
1: What about a farmer?
0: I would say significantly assistive technology initially, and we're already seeing that. You can get combines that are you know GPS driven and stuff like that. We'll see, you know, probably in the in the near future, if it's not already there, real-time soil analysis, so that you know a computer can figure out like I need to add this much. Nitrate or phosphate, or you know, I'm not a, I'm not in agriculture, so I'm throwing words out there. I'm not really sure if they make sense, but you get the point. Um, farming will be significantly assisted by technology. You know, when we talk about dairy farms and stuff, the technology is already pretty big there. And what we will see is that farms, you know, we'll see more amalgamating. I believe in the farm industry with larger companies taking over larger slots of land because they can produce more cost-effectively. And what that means is people that are in agriculture, even if you're you know, a comparatively small operator, you still need to be utilizing the technology to remain cost-effective and competitive.
1: What about the service industry at, like, restaurants, staff, cooks, chefs, maitre d's? I've
0: been in a McDonald's recently. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know it's 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 funny when i used to talk to people a couple of years or 3 years ago i was talking about how you know touchscreen ordering was going to come into the mcdonalds and initially that was a little bit hard to to believe and now it's really hard to go into a mcdonalds without finding it now the next thing that's going to come is you know back of house robotic chefs those are already released and i was talking to somebody literally last night and they were telling me that um this is third hand information not verified so i want to throw that out there but they were telling me that a friend of theirs had been in Germany and they went into a McDonald's and the entire process was automated. And so, you know, we start to, I just want to roll back for a second and help people to understand how big of an impact this is. Just looking at the McDonald's and the touchscreen ordering, you know, at the McDonald's near our house, a few years ago, you would walk in and there would be four or five people across the front counter. And now there's one and a whole bunch of touch screen ordering. So that's potentially three to four people less per shift that you would need in that restaurant per day. So let's say seven people per day, per restaurant, 15,000 restaurants. It's 105,000 jobs that don't exist today that existed two years ago. No headlines. You know, in in our country, when Sears was uh, going bankrupt, Big headlines about 3,000 jobs being displaced, and that is big news. We're talking 105,000 jobs disappearing, and this is not a shot against McDonald's because, you know, and I've I've asked thousands of educators this: if you paid a million or two million dollars or half million dollars, whatever the total is, to get your McDonald's franchise, and by putting in touchscreen ordering, you could save 200,000 dollars a year. Who here is keeping the people employed? And not a single hand has ever gone up. So what we have to understand is this is human nature, right? E- economics always wins. and
1: True enough. Excuse me, Dennis, at- I have oh. to jump in here. We, we, we have to Sorry. take a timeout. We'll come back Perfect. and continue this. Dennis Combites, what, a, what an incredibly appropriate name <laughs> to discuss computers and artificial intelligence and robotics. Dennis Combites from robots.education. More on the other side. My name is Richard Serrett. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions.
0: This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarratt.
1: You know, Dennis, during the uh, Industrial Revolution there were these, uh, they were called Luddites, I guess, and, and they um, they were opposed to early forms of mechanization and so forth. And they would go in and sabotage equipment. And and I, th- I think these were the Luddites. If I've got that wrong, forgive me. But it, it, there was, in other words, there was a group that was opposed to this and they tried to, you know, forestall really the inevitable. I'm wondering, it'd be interesting to, to get your take on whether you think there will be a similar response to uh robotics and, and artificial intelligence
0: I think the first thing that we need to recognize is that the world is changing at this all at the same time, so trying to trying to stall your local you know uh, evolution of these technologies is only going to put your country at greater risk that's an important important thing to know. Certainly, there will be people that will, um, not want these technologies to come in. But, you know, the ultimately governments will have two options. And one option is to make sure that all of their people, you know, can be successful in the new workplace. And the other option is going to be to slap massively high tariffs on everything and functionally try to exist as a silo. And, you know, historically, that hasn't been a great approach to things. But, you know, the, the, the biggest thing that people need to do right now is do their best to understand how their industry is going to potentially change. And, you know, Richard, know this. I'm not an advocate of saying everyone needs to be a roboticist or a coder. Certainly, the people that understand those technologies and get to the top level, they are going to be handsomely rewarded in the workplace and do incredible things. But what I am a massive advocate of is robotics literacy. You know, we all have to have an understanding of what is coming, how our jobs are going to change. If you're working in a kitchen beside a robot, you know, you don't necessarily have to know how to program that robot, but you have to be comfortable being there. And if you're a manager of a retail store, you know, you don't have to know how to program the robots that are in the warehouse or the customer service robots. But you have to understand the potential of what they can do, what their strengths are, their limitations. you know it, the whole workflow of many, many industries is going to change, and the people that understand that and take the steps to try and set themselves up today are going to be hugely, hugely
1: advantaged. I was going through kind of a list of occupations and wondering how they'll be impacted by robotics, and I mentioned the service industry restaurants. Let's say, for example, like a chef who really is an artist working with food. Um, I mean, I, su- I suppose you could get a robot that, that knew exactly how to, you know, mixed with artificial intelligence, mix the, the precise, you know, uh, ingredients and so forth. I mean, do you see a, a time when when the great chefs of Europe, for example, will all be replaced at the Michelin star restaurants with robots?
0: I'd sure like to think not, uh, but I think that what we'll find is there will be restaurants that care about that, where you want the human touch, and restaurants that don't. But if you're going into a fast food place, if I'm going through a drive-through, I, I care about what comes out on my plate. I, you know, the the experience. It's not about the experience; it's about the food. There are going to be restaurants where it's about the experience, and the same thing is true of painters, for example, if, for example, you know, you can have uh, a, a robot or a machine create a perfect replica of you out of oil in the future. But if I want a perfect replica, I'll take a photograph, right? I want that human interpretation. And, you know, the, but I would, I would say in a lot of cases, robotic chefs will be replicating uh, recipes from great chefs. Yeah, I think that's a, a probability for sure.
1: What about the medical field surgeons nurses dentists doctors
0: uh some of some of that okay, that that whole industry is going is getting a major upgrade first off, and again, if you understand those technologies, you're way better off. you know we'll be having doctors in Toronto operating in patients in New York. That type of thing will happen in the future um, we'll certainly see. Support staff, um, orderlies, and stuff like that. Those people are potentially at more risk, and in fact, there are robotic orderlies already. Uh, but you know, there, there's when you're when you're dealing with people, particularly people that are in distress, uh, like a like a medical situation. The best in the best you know, interface. Look, I sound like a computer. <laughs> now you're really not sure who you're
1: talking <laughs> to. <laughs> the, I, the I, best, I, you're best, raising my suspicions.
0: The best interface is another person. And I did a presentation at a school, and, and, you know, they made an announcement, said anybody who wants to come and hear this robotics presentation, you know, come down to the theater. And at the end of the presentation, I talked to one of the teachers, and she was a psychology teacher. And I said, I'm surprised, you know, I'm surprised you were here. And she said she asked her kids, do you want to go? And they did because they were curious if their jobs, you know, as therapists and psychologists in the future would be replaced. And my answer to that teacher was certainly there will be call you know, AI call lines that will do a pretty good job. But if we step back for a second and think about the, the the pain to humanity of what happens when sixty million people lose their jobs. And remember a lot of these people are going to be you know, if you've been a trucker for twenty years and this is not picking on a trucker, you probably don't have a huge amount of the new tech skills. So then you lose your job and you're like, okay what can I do? And we're going to start to see a lot of people suffering uh, emotional consequences of what's coming. And you know, so the therapists and psychiatrists are going to be, those jobs will be increasing in demand. And again, though, in those jobs, if you understand robotics and AI and you have that literacy, you're not a roboticist, but if you have that literacy, you're significantly more able to get people back into being productive members and feeling good about their future and how they do fit in
1: society. Empathy. They'll have an algorithm for that, I'm sure. Uh, that's what really scares me. The, the loss of humanity, ultimately. Uh, we'll take another quick time out. Come back. Dennis Combites stays with us for the full two hours. We will open the phone lines at the top of the hour, take questions and comments, and also I'll be taking questions from the YouTube live chat. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us
0: take a look around what do you really see this is where you can tell all about it the conspiracy show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio
1: a quick programming note. Next week will be uh, dedicated, the full two hours, to the uh, anniversary of nine eleven. Uh, Morgan Reynolds, founder of nomoregames.net, uh, economics professor emeritus, former chief economist for the U.S. Department of Labor under George uh, W. Bush, uh, and uh, Dr. Judy Wood, the author of Where Did the Towers Go? Evidence of Directed Energy. Uh, on 9-11, uh, they'll both be along for the full two hours. And again, that's next week, two hours on the uh, anniversary of 9-11. De- Dennis Combites is uh, with us from robots.education. And um, we, we touched on this earlier, the, you know, the, the impact uh, on the workforce, for example. We talked about um, high unemployment uh, but there's some other aspects that are that uh, will be affected, and one of those is uh, uh, crime. So, are, are we talking here about the an increase in crime due to uh, you know loss of jobs, or are we talking about how robots will be utilized in what crime prevention? Uh,
0: well, it's certainly both of those are possibilities. Um, you know the. Law enforcement, like all other industries, is rapidly changing as new technology becomes available. Um, big data analysis and stuff is now all part of crime fighting. Um, certainly, surveillance methodology will change. But as the, you know, a, 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 as technology comes and, you know, with robotics and AI, it's important to understand those are industries, yes. But more importantly, much like computers, they're layers across all industries and as we get new technology then we have the potential for you know new and more innovative crimes um and you know so we need we need new and more innovative law enforcement to to combat that but certainly one of the you know one of the big things is when we talk about the number of jobs going away people just hear that number and it's so hard to put that you know, into your into your mind and to, to contemplate what that looks like practically. And I think that what we're going to see is, you know, um, in areas where they have not adopted technology in their education system and people haven't prepared themselves for this, we will see increased crime because we'll see increased desperation because unemployment will be higher, you know. And we talked a little bit about the reduced um, impact or, or reduced ability for the governments to bring social programs and medical insurance and the like. You know, and if we're going to, if we're going to go, you know, it, right before the break, you mentioned, you know, the, the whole aspect of humanity. And I think this is a really important thing we have to understand that within North American high schools, the number of children learning robotics in schools that are teaching them 2% of boys, 0.2% of girls. You know, maybe it's up to 03 or and 3% at this point in time. And I've, But I've confirmed that number over the last eight years because I always poll the audience when I'm doing presentations and say, I want to make sure that you believe that these numbers are accurate. And the people that are teaching robotics always give me an affirmative. Occasionally we'll see outliers, but that's pretty much it across the board. So think about this. We're looking at, you know, the largest workforce transition in the history of mankind And two or three girls out of a thousand are learning the technology behind it. And you know, and twenty to thirty boys is better, but that's that's woefully inadequate as well. And
1: how did this happen? How did we get how did we get caught with our proverbial pants down?
0: I think everybody's just really busy going from point A to point B. You know, when I was at that robotics conference that I mentioned earlier uh, and I was up on stage. I was like, "Oh, I'll be curious to see how, you know, how well this information is received here at a robotics conference with hundreds or thousands of roboticists." And the number of people that came up to me and said, "I've never thought of it that way," because what happens is our engineers are looking at going from point A to point B. That's their job. But no one's sitting back. Well, there are some people that are, but it's not being discussed. No one's sitting back and taking a 10,000 foot view and saying what happens when 10,000 engineers are doing that or 20,000 and they're all going to reach the finish line at about the same time when when we're looking at our education system if you know and you made the comment about humanity earlier and I love that because if we want to preserve what humanity looks like we need to have all like people all across the engineering spectrum which includes people that are not at all interested in engineering understanding what's coming you know we need environmentalists knowing this doctors politicians artists everybody has environmentalists everybody has to understand what's coming and it's through it's through everybody getting a notch up in their education and understanding that's how we preserve humanity because if we're leaving our humanity decision to a few companies or a few people that are doing incredible things the bulk of humanity may not be happy with where we end up
1: I'm just I'm curious, though, how we have, you know, government agencies that present white papers that are forecast 20, 25 years into the future. We have think tanks coming out our wazoo's that are, you know, again, looking at what's happening in the future. And it's like, what, nobody saw this coming. I
0: I think I think there are definitely people out there. You know, I mean, there there are a number of very excellent futurists, and uh, certainly there are um, think tanks. And, in fact, we're putting together a think tank that will, for for late October, and then we're going to run one hopefully each month, but the October one's a lock, where we're going to be inviting a number of uh, top futurists, economists, educators, government officials, business leaders. You know, part of the challenge is the system of government is designed you know over a 4 year cycle you know and and that's a real challenge because the payout for this historically has been longer than 4 years right so people are like okay you know and it it's the same challenge that exists in sports where I'll mortgage the future to look good today and but when we do that with our children and our youth and our economy it you know there's there's a price to pay eventually you get pushed up against the wall and we've been pushing it down, pushing it down, making education cuts, making education cuts. And so far, we've been able to manage that. But the timeline is getting much shorter for us. And we have to, you know, we have to start putting resources into this in a in an emergency-type way immediately.
1: This is very speculative, but I have to ask this question. It is the conspiracy show, after all. and And that is... This quarantine and lockdown, COVID nineteen. I've always suspected that at least, not that the virus isn't real, but that it is being used as kind of a beta test. And one of the things that they've been floating, of course, are you know guaranteed annual incomes. Um, I'm just wondering: do you think that 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 they are taking this opportunity to hit the reset button, knowing that this huge displacement is coming? Um, to start introducing some of these things like a guaranteed income
0: i i think it's possible but if they're you know if if they're looking at that type of approach they darn well better be looking at increasing the funding for education because a reset button that says we're going to have universal basic income when you're going to have a much reduced tax base is not going to work Right. We have to be putting a significant amount of money into education and we have to change how we're educating our kids about robotics so that we're not just reaching the top two percent of kids or engineering minded kids. And at the middle school level, the numbers are typically five to 15 percent of kids learning robotics, you know, depending on what product is being used. The girls at the lower end of the curve, you know, and just as as, you know, I talked earlier about the fact that there was going to be some good news. So here's some good news. When we teach robotics the way that we're teaching it, we get 90% of all children at middle school age wanting to learn this. At the high school level, we're consistently hitting 25 to 45%. And we've tested these across 18,000 children across North America, inner city LA, prairies of Canada, you know, New Jersey, down into Australia. So there are solutions. It just takes, it takes an awareness at the educator level and at the government level of, the changes that are coming, how sweeping they're going to be and and then putting into place the resources to make these changes happen, but it's not expensive
1: all right, and we will uh, we'll drill down on those types of uh, points when we come back talk uh, we'll talk about the the solutions to this seemingly insurmountable problem uh, this uh, huge economic Displacement that's coming our way. Think of a tsunami approaching our shores at 100 miles an hour, and uh, we haven't even inflated the life rafts yet. Uh, that's where we're at. Dennis Combites is with robots.education. We'll open up the lines. 416-360-0740 in the Greater Toronto Area. Again, 416 360 0740 and toll free from just about anywhere one 740 4740 740 we'll also take questions from uh, those of you gathered in our youtube live chat stay with us as we roll into hour two with the robot robotics revolution and dennis combites stay with us